Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Church Podcast. Visit us online at lifepointcentral.com. How many of your uh, lives look like that sometimes? I mean, you're, you, have a, you, know, you have a picture of the Hallmark life, and you got toilet paper hanging out your shoes. You, um, you just feel a little messy. Anybody? <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. We're, uh, we're, we're going to talk just for a moment about this crazy Christmas tree that, um, by the way, they're all fired. <clears throat> Wasn't what I was going for, but um, anyway, at least they were at least they were creative, right? Uh, I was thinking about this. There, there, there has to be a, a few different styles or types of Christmas tree families. Like, there's probably, I guess, I would call them the organic Christmas tree family. You know, they they forge out into into the wilderness through the snow. They chop the tree down. They bring it home. They trim it. Put the lights on it and put it put it up. And, and they're they're just really into that. Uh, maybe there's the traditional family where they they get the real tree, but they buy it, you know, from a lot or maybe a, a tree farm. And then there's the then there's the modern family who they just go up in the attic or down in the basement and um, pull the artificial tree out and 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 decorate it. So whichever one of those fits you. You know, our, our house, we have a few different Christmas trees. And when we lived in Ohio and our kids were small, we bought, we had a cathedral ceiling in, in our one room. And so we bought this big Christmas tree. And it was one that you had to put the branches in. Anyone ever have one of those? It took like three days to build the tree. But we had all these unique ornaments on it. The kids made some, you know, when they were really little, those ornaments. So it just had a, a variety of of ornaments um, on that, that tree. And, and when we moved here, we brought it with us. It was in our basement. And honestly, just a couple years ago, the branches were just so brittle and it was just looking so bad that one year when Christmas was over, my wife um, said something blasphemous to me. She's like, that tree needs to go. Um, and we did dispose of it. And right after that, we were at Sam's and they had this big pre-lit tree that you just pop it together uh, and it was on sale. I'm like, that is awesome. I couldn't wait till the next Christmas. I go to put it together and it wouldn't fit in our basement. It was, it was too tall for our basement. So it's, it's in our foyer now. When you walk in, it looks good. But we, we sort of bought another artificial one for the basement. And it's just got all kinds of, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just got Pittsburgh Steeler ornaments. It's got ornaments made from crafts and but, but it's unique, and it means something, but it's loaded down. It doesn't look quite like this, but, but it, it, it's a, a little similar looking. But I thought I would take a poll, first of all. Artificial or real tree? Let's see. Artificial. Wow. Real. Wow. Artificial. Y'all are lazy. Okay. <clears throat> so how about this? Um, star on the top. Angel on the top. Just stick a bow on it. I have any like, I don't do trees. Anybody? Okay. One, one person in the back. <clears throat> well, so our, I guess, understanding of today's Christmas tree actually came from about the 16th century. And St. Uh, I'm say this name right. St. Boniface actually used a Christmas tree to illustrate the Trinity, because it was in a triangle, and he, he was teaching a class, and he taught them that God the Father, 
Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit was a representation of an evergreen tree or a Christmas tree. So people began to call it God's tree. They put them in their house, and they actually put candles on the tree branches. That sounds a little unsafe to me, but that's how we sort of got our modern, I guess, Christmas tree origin. And so I'm going to use that illustration just a little bit this morning, but we're finishing up a series that we've been doing over the last few weeks called Family First. And during this series, we've talked about God's plan for family. We've talked about God's plan for parenting. Last weekend, my wife helped me. We talked about uh, God's plan for partnering. And so this morning, if I want to give ours a title, it's our Family First Christmas. And I want to talk about God's promise plan for the next few moments. And so I want to read you some scriptures. At first, uh, stick with me because you're going to wonder why I'm reading what I'm reading, but it, it goes with all of this this morning. <clears throat> this is Matthew chapter 1. Everybody doing all right? Elbow somebody and say, I'm in. All right, here we go. This is verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, and, and it, 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 it's sort of a synopsis of the Christmas story that we're celebrating. And it says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. His mother, Mary, had promised Joseph to be his wife. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Her fiancé, Joseph, was a righteous man who was full of integrity, and he didn't want to disgrace her, but when he learned of her pregnancy, he had a secret plan to break off the engagement. But while he was still debating within himself about how to do that, he fell asleep, and he had a supernatural dream. An angel from the Lord appeared to him and said, Joseph, descendant of David, don't hesitate to take Mary into your home, make her your wife, because the power of the Holy Spirit has conceived a child in her womb. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Savior, for he is destined to give his life to save his people from their sins. This happened to fulfill what the Lord spoke through the prophet. And verse 23 says, listen, a virgin will be pregnant. She will give birth to a son, and he will be known as Emmanuel, which means in Hebrew, God became one of us. It also uh, translates God is with us. When Joseph woke from his dream, he did all that the angel of the Lord instructed him to do, and he took Mary to be his wife. There were over 700 Old Testament scriptures that point, or Old Testament prophecies that pointed to this very birth of Jesus. That, that pointed us that Jesus would be born the Messiah, he would be Emmanuel, he would be born the Savior. And that's a little synopsis, we know that story, but I want to read a few verses and just stick with me for a moment because it's going to sound redundant. I'm sure when you've read this part of your Bible, you probably just skim through it, but look at this, this is verse, verse 1 in chapter 1 of Matthew, and it says, this is the scroll of the genealogy of Jesus, the anointed one, the son of David, the descendant of Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, who had a son named Judah. He and his brothers became the tribes of Israel. Judah and Tamar had twin sons, Perez and Zerah. Perez had a son named Hezron, who had a son named Ram, who had a son named, I'm going to try it, Aminadab, who had a son named Nashon, who had a son named Salmon, who along with Rahab had a son named Boaz. Boaz and Ruth had a son named Obed who was the father of Jesse. And Jesse had a son named David, who became the king. Then David and Bathsheba had a son named Solomon, who had a son named Rehoboam, who had a son named Abijah. Y'all getting the trend? Who had a son named Asa, who had a son named Jehoshaphat, who had a son named Joram, 
who had a son named Uzziah. Let's just stick with me. Where am I at? Verse 9. Who had a son named Jotham, who had a son named Ahaz, who had a son named Hezekiah, who had a son named Manasseh, who had a son named Amos, who had a son named Josiah, who was the father of Jeconiah. It was during the days of Jeconiah and his brothers that Israel became captive and they were deported into Babylon. About the time of their captivity in Babylon, Jeconiah had a son named, try it yourself, and had a son named <laughs> Zerubbabel, who had a son named Abiod, who had a son named Eliakim, who had a son named Azor, who had a son named Zadok, who had a son named Achim, who had a son named Eliad, who had a son named Eliezer, who had a son named Mathon, who had a son named Jacob, verse 16, who was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is called the anointed one. So from Abraham to David, 14 generations, from David to Babylon, captivity, 14 generations, and from Babylon, captivity to Christ, there were 14 generations. Now, why would I take the time to read all of that to you this morning? Obviously, genealogy is important. Genealogy produces your bloodline. Your bloodline is your resume. This is the resume of Jesus. A lot of people will look at their genealogy and they will say it's our family tree. It's real popular right now to go to things like Ancestry.com and trace back your, your ancestors. Uh, I used to, me and Diane used to watch a show, maybe you remember, remembered it, it's Who Am I Really? And they would take celebrities and they would trace their roots back and they would find out all these interesting things about them. Uh, a few years ago, uh, someone in, in my dad's family traced back uh, the Morgan family, which um, was actually traced back, he was the first... Uh, settler in West Virginia, so we should get some kickback that I haven't seen yet, but anyway, we he was the, the, the first settler in West Virginia. So you, you trace that back, it, it's your bloodline, or it is your lineage, or it's your family tree, and this is, this is the resume of Jesus. This is the family tree of Jesus. This is the lineage of Jesus. So you might wonder what's so important about all of those names that we can't pronounce. Well, when I read that section of scriptures, there were some things that stood out to me. First of all, listen to this. It says, from Abraham to David, 14 generations. From David to the Babylonian captivity, guess what? 14 generations. From captivity to Jesus, guess what? 14 generations. Interesting, but if you look up the spiritual meaning for the number 14, this is what it means. Deliverance and salvation. Now, if you give that a modern translation, this is what it means. In modern terms, it means there is always a way out, especially when you need release from a certain situation. Isn't that interesting? Salvation, deliverance, you need a way out of something, a particular situation. That's what the number 14 represents. And somewhere in the resume of Jesus is salvation and deliverance and a way out. We see that from just a very numerical uh, documentation of lineage. I thought that was interesting. Then there's something else that you may not know that's so interesting, but for a Hebrew or Jewish genealogy, it's really, really strange. And that is that it lists several women in the genealogy. You don't see that in normal Jewish genealogy. And I would like to just bring your awareness to a few names that we probably skimmed over because there's some scandalous 
people in the genealogy of, of Jesus. First of all, right off the bat, it lists, it lists a, a lady by the name of Tamar. Now, Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah, and her husband died. So Jewish tradition was the brother would then marry and take care of the widow of the brother. So she marries the next brother, and guess what happens to him? He dies. So the third brother, guess what he says? Mm -mm. He refused to marry. I wouldn't either. Like Everybody's dying that's marrying you. So he refuses to marry her. So what she does is she cooks up this scheme and she dresses herself up like a prostitute. Her father-in-law, Judah, hires her, has sex with her. She gets pregnant and they have twins. Y'all, that's messed up. Even for today, that's, that's messed up. But she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus. And then also in the genealogy of Jesus is a lady by the name of Rahab. And usually when you see Rahab in the Bible... It, like if, if they gave your name, like Pastor Mitch, worship pastor, but every time you see the word Rahab, it's Rahab the harlot or the prostitute. And so she's listed in here because when they sent the spies into Jericho, she housed the spies and they promised her that when they came to take uh, uh, over Jericho that they would spare her and her family, which, which they did. And then she, she, she was saved and she marries a man by the name of Salmon and they have a son named Boaz and that's in the genealogy of Jesus. There's another lady by the name of Ruth, which it describes her as Ruth the Moabite and Moabites were known as the worst of the Gentiles. And so she was married to Naomi's son and they went to Moab during a famine and he died. And, and so she, against protocol, sticks with Naomi and stays with her. And she's unmarried until finally they find, they find a guy by the name of Boaz. And Boaz is a distant kinsman and he's known as the family restorer because according to custom, it allotted him the opportunity to restore everything that they had lost. And so this lady named Ruth makes this list uh, who is basically an immigrant. Then we come down to someone I'm sure you've heard of and her name is Bathsheba. Bathsheba had an, an adulterous relationship with the king, King David. And so King David finds out that he, after he sleeps with her, with her she's pregnant so he sends her husband, uh, calls him from the battlefield and says, come home. So he wants to blame this on him and he refuses to come home. So he sticks him on the front line. He gets killed on the front line. And so because of this, the, this whole tragedy, their, their son is born and he dies. They repent. God, God eventually births Solomon, who the Bible says is the wisest man ever, as their son later on. And so there's this crazy scandalous part of the genealogy that puts these women in there that you usually don't see. Something else interesting is just to watch the messed up tree line of the people listed. There are liars, there are cheaters, there are adulterers, there are murderers. How I many know you wouldn't want that lineage to be shown in your family tree, but it's exposed here in scripture. I also find this interesting is in this genealogy is this prophetic hope. Jesus is referred to, first of all, as the son of Abraham. The reason why that's so important is because it immediately connects Jesus to the rescue plan that was 
identified with Abraham. In other words, the Bible says because of Jesus, the blessing of Abraham could come on us. He's also known as, you see, uh, son of David, which gives him this connection to being a king and to be royalty and to be an overseer or a ruler. And so out of that genealogy, I'm sure you're wondering why I was reading all those names over and over again. But there's something important about genealogy. There's something important about your family tree and your resume and, and, and where it was that you came from. Why would I take the time to read that? What does that mean for us today? Because I'm sure if we check back far enough in your lineage, in your family tree, we might find some crazy, crazy, crazy. I've always said this. If you can't locate the crazy in your family, it's you, right? But there's crazy in our, in our family. There, there might, maybe your family tree looks a little bit like, think about this, Jesus, God's son, the Messiah, the Savior, the hope of the world. I mean, his family tree has some scandal. I doubt your family tree uh, didn't come from uh, uh, someone dressing up like a prostitute to sleep with the father-in-law. I mean, that's Jerry Springer right there, right? That is, that, is not, that is not normal. Here's what's amazing is Jesus can take anybody's resume, anyone's bloodline, and he can do something. He can change things. He can redeem things. He can alter things. He can do something amazing with your life no matter, no matter where you came from, who you came from, what side of the tracks you were from, whatever happened in your yesterday, how many know God can change all that? God has the power of redemption and change. And I know we've got this ridiculous looking tree up here that might represent some of our lives. And I know St. Boniface said that the, that the Christmas tree symbolized, you know, the, the Trinity. It was just an object lesson he was using. But I want you to know that Jesus uh, had a different tree and his tree looked a little bit like a cross. That was his lineage. That was, uh, that was his story, was, was a tree that was on the hill of Golgotha. I, I want to read you a few scriptures uh, uh, about God's tree, even though they, they called the, the original Christmas tree God's tree. This is in the book of Galatians. Y'all ready for a shout scripture? Yeah. It says this, yet Christ paid a full price. To set us free from the curse of the law. He absorbed all of the curse completely as he actually became a curse in our place. Because it is written, everyone who is hung upon a tree, they're cursed. Jesus dissolved that curse from our lives so that in him, every blessing from Abraham can be poured out on us, the Gentiles. And now through faith, we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Because of that tree, the promise of Abraham could come on us. Because of the cross, which meant to be cursed, when Jesus hung on that cross and gave his life, he broke the power of the curse. Here's what the curse was, to be separated from God. It was poverty and it was sickness. And Jesus broke that cross by hanging on that tree. And he did it so the blessing of Abraham, the original blessing that you can read about in the book of Genesis, could come on your life. That blessing said that you, could, you would experience an increase of favor, an increase of blessing. And Jesus broke the curse to bring the blessing. Galatians chapter 4, check this out, verse 4. But when the time of fulfillment had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Yet all of this was so he would redeem. Everyone say redeem. 
And he would set free those held hostage to the law so that we would receive our freedom and a full legal adoption as his children. And so that we would know that we are his true kids, God released the spirit of, look what it says, sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, you're my father, you're my true father. Now we're no longer living like a slave under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters because we're his. We can access everything our father has for we are heirs because of what God did for us. You can look at your crazy family lineage and you can say, I got a whole new family now. I've been adopted. You've been reborn, born anew, born again in a new family. Ephesians chapter three, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth gets its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he would strengthen you with power through his spirit on the inside so that Christ would dwell in your heart. Guess what it says? Through what? Through faith. And I pray that you, rooted and established in love, you would have power together with all of God's people and you would grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Jesus. And to know this love, it surpasses all knowledge that you would be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now that's a family tree. He took you, broke the curse, brought you into the family, and rooted you in the love of his family. So no matter what tree represents you naturally, there's a brand new supernatural tree that represents you. If your family tree, so to speak, looked a little jacked up like this, how I many of God can, God can turn it into something like this? So I want to share three things with you this morning, and that's this. Life point number one, Jesus can actually redeem your history. Everybody say redeem. Redeem means purchase or to buy back. Jesus, if you allow him, if you will let him, he can actually redeem your history. Here's an amazing thing that happened on that Christ, on that cross. God took the sin of the world. He took your failures. He took your errors. He took your sins and he actually imputed them onto Jesus. He, he put them on the shoulders of Jesus. He downloaded all the sin of humanity past current then and in the future now and what's to come. And he imputed all of it onto Jesus, all of your family uh, chaos, all, everything that came through the generations of your family, the iniquity, the sin, the mess up, all of that stuff. Jesus took all of that. And he, he, God took it all and he imputed it to Jesus on the cross. And then he took and he imputed his goodness and his righteousness and his pureness and his holiness. And he imputed it into your life when you declared that he's the savior of your life. He actually can redeem it all. All the stuff that, that, that keeps you up at night, all the stuff that, that you failed at, all the mistakes that you made, all the stuff you did, all the things you said, all the things you thought about, guess what? He imputed his righteousness to you. 
If you are a born-again believer, you are completely righteous before God. You actually will not get any more righteous than you are right now. He said his righteousness is actually, it's just a gift. It's just a Christmas gift to you. And all you have to do is, by faith, receive it. Isn't that cool? Jesus can redeem your history. It's like going to your computer where it says history and hitting the delete button and it's deleted. You, you don't have a track record. You know, with God, you don't have a mugshot. You don't have a rap sheet. You know what it says? In big red bold letters, it, he stamped it with redeemed. Redeemed. But Pastor, you don't, you don't know who I was. You don't know what I don't need to know. I just need to know who you are now. If you're redeemed, we're brothers, we're sisters. Does, doesn't matter where you came from, what your color is. We're brothers and we're family, right? He redeemed your history. You are brand new. Don't let yesterday in your mind remind you of stuff that God has already forgotten about. He's redeemed your history. Number two, wasn't that good? Not only has he redeemed your history, he's actually rescued your bloodline. He has rescued your bloodline. No matter what was in your bloodline, guess what? Jesus forgave it. There's a big theological term, it's called um, justified, which means it's just as if you had actually never sinned before. And the Bible says you are a brand new creation. It says that in the book of Corinthians, you are not what you used to be. You are a brand new creation. You've got new DNA. Actually, if you study that out in the Greek, it means you are a species that did not exist before. He has made you completely new. You might say, I don't always feel new. I don't always think new. That's why the Bible says what you need to do. Romans says this. You just got to keep renewing yourself, renewing your mind to what God said about you. I'm healed. I'm a winner. I'm delivered. I'm set free. I'm not addicted. I can be this. I can do that. I am who he says I am. I can have what he says I can have. I'm blessed, not broke. I'm healed, not sick. I'm free. What Jesus did was give you a blood transfusion. You might have had some stuff in your bloodline that you wouldn't want brought out on the family Christmas tree. Might have been maybe some stuff you repeated. Just came down to you some beliefs, some thoughts, some actions, some sins, some errors. You know, Paul said that. Paul said, I'm perplexed. There's a, this stuff I want to do and be, but I do what I don't want to do and be instead of what I do and I want to be. And then he said this he said, Woe is me. But then he said, But I sense something else working in me. It's the spirit of life. What he was saying was, I'm not there yet, but I'm not who I used to be. There's something new working in me. You know what it is? You got new blood flowing through you. You've got redemption blood through you. You got the blood of a king flowing through you. You got the blood of the Savior. You got the blood of Jesus. If they go and test your blood, you're Jesus positive. You're redeemed positive. You're forgiven positive. You're a new creation. We've never seen this bloodline. Well, I, I'm, 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 I'm royalty. No, we know where you're from. No, I, I've got a, I had a blood transfusion. I'm a whole different person. Check my DNA. 
I don't talk like I used to talk. I don't think like I used to think. I don't go where I used to go. Come on, somebody. You got different DNA. Don't get all down because you mess up every now and then. Look at, what you, look at who you've become that you're not who you were. If it wasn't for Jesus, if you don't like some things now, do you know where you might? You may not even be here. You wouldn't be free. Some of you wouldn't be sitting here this morning. But there's something else working. Anyone glad there's something else working in you? There is something else working in you this morning. There's blessing working in you. There's healing working in you. Come on, somebody. There's new DNA in you. The DNA of a king. Because he rescued your bloodline. I got one more. So you've been redeemed. You've been rescued. Here's the last one. Not only can Jesus redeem your history and rescue your bloodline, Jesus can restore your lineage. Aren't you glad you came this morning? I just wanted to pump you up before Christmas. But he can restore your lineage. We read in the scriptures, it says that you have been adopted into his family. Now listen to this. When you, because you've been adopted into his family, the curse that worked against you has been replaced by the blessing restoring what God originally created for you. I love this thought. This is why Jesus came. <clears throat> well, where do we start off? We start off by reading that Joseph was supposed to be married to Mary, but Mary came home and said, I'm pregnant, but it's the Holy Spirit. Joseph wasn't like, that's awesome. Joseph was, the Bible said, he was thinking, how do I get out of this? If your wife came home, she said, I'm pregnant, it's the Holy Spirit. You'd be like, drug test, right? <laughs> but the Bible said Joseph had a supernatural dream. That supernatural dream was the Messiah, the Savior, prophesied over 700 times, would be born through Mary. But it wasn't like God just picked the perfect family from the beginning of time. God had to work with and through scandalous people. He had to work through people who were not perfect, people who their past was full of mistakes, a lot of stuff they wouldn't want exposed, a lot of past iniquities. He had to work through people who murdered, lied, had affairs, stole, kinds of crazy stuff. And God said, I think out of even this lineage, I can birth the Savior. And you know what God says about your life? He might look at a lot of stuff that's similar and say, you know what? I believe I can do something amazing in them, something amazing for them, and amazing through them. But to do that, I've got to redeem them. I've got to hit the delete button on their yesterday. I, I've got to rescue their bloodline. I've got to give them a blood transfusion. And then I've got to adopt them. And I've got to call them mine. I've got to make them part of my royal family. You, you know, this past year with the death of Queen Elizabeth, we watched before our eyes royalty. And we watched, we don't have that in America, but we, we got to watch all the power and pomp and circumstance of, of, of a queen and 
how princes and kings and, and all of that works. A little different than the way it is here. But if you could just get a glimpse, you know, obviously the England looks on and that's a different type of people. They've got some different favor on them and they've got some different prestige on them and they've got some different opportunity on them and they've got some different, they walk different and they talk different and they have pretty much a life of what? They have an advantage. Do you know that you are no longer an outsider, you're a son or a daughter of the king, which means in the world we're in, you have some different favor than the world has. You have some different power than the culture does. You have some different standards and some different opportunities. You have an advantage, why? Because you've been adopted into the family of God. You're related, you've got his blood in your veins. If they cut you open, it's the blood of it's the blood of a king. It's in your veins. Isn't that amazing? God's amazing. Because the moment Adam and Eve subjected the world to a different plan, this is what's amazing to me. God never changed his intention. The reason why Jesus was born, God's plan to redeem, rescue, and restore. The reason he was born, so the blessing, the original blessing from the garden could still come on you. And the only way it could come on you is if you had a blood transfusion and you had your yesterday altered and you were adopted into the family. That's the only way. And he said, the only way I can do this is send my son. I'm going to let him be born. And the time, of, it, it, the time Jesus was born was just like today. There was military unrest. There was economic upheaval. There, there, was, there was no hope. Jobs were not to be found. It was a rough time. And Jesus said, I'm going to, or God said, I'm going to let my hope, my redemption to be born in a secluded place in a little town of Bethlehem. And that little baby with no popping circumstance at that moment would change the world. Why would he want to change the world? Because that's not the way he wanted the world to unfold. That's the message of, of, of Christmas. We read it so you would understand the love of a father, that you get rooted in that love. Everything I said today was just for you to get rooted in that love, to know where you came from. Even if this disasters of a tree represents your disaster of your ancestry.com or your family tree or your lineage, if it's not, anyone here not come from a perfect family tree? Three people, the rest of you, y'all can be dismissed. I'm just going to talk to this story. It may look a little jacked up, and you may have had a little bit to do with it, but God can change it all. God can change it all. Can we, can we stand to our feet this morning? Can we stand to our feet? We're going to close out with a couple more songs. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Um, And I know you know this, this sounds so cliche, but I want you to let this get in your heart.
the same seemingly secluded hope that was born in a manger in the middle of nowhere even though most of them didn't know it was the hope of the world listen to this it's the same baby that grew to be a man that gave his life on the cross that is the absolute same hope at this very second in 2022 and it may seem secluded it may seem remote to others but it's the same here's why because you can be born again you can be saved but you say well how do I do that I want to make sure that I'm going to heaven well here's how you know you confess Jesus become the Lord of my life you say, well, I believe in God. Well, so does the devil, but the, never, the devil never called him Lord. When we choose to call him Lord, he becomes the Messiah and the Savior. In other words, it's God's gift that you say, I'm making it personal now. The Bible says you get born again. You have a blood transfusion. You become a believer. Can we bow our heads for a moment? I want to pray for